0: we're back
1: <laughs> right, how you doing i am doing phenomenal how are you you know i i'm fine i'm you know recovering from baby face uh syndrome <laughs> <laughs> the cheeks are still cheeking though like but you know hello. I my, yeah hello what are you trying to say my face is normally this round no
0: i was gonna say i feel like that was a little bit Pixar. <laughs> you know it was very Pixar. so i think that that mm. added a little bit of extra cheekbones, but outside I of fit that- i with
1: cheekbones. It's like down here. What is that called? Well, this muscle right here is called the boostinator. So like that boostinator right here was like sagging, you know? Okay. <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> What's good, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, All Things Galactic, and uh, coming through without the, without the cheekbones like she thinks that she has. Give it up for none other than be wonderful- <laughs>
1: what's <laughs> <Bless> my pearls <laughs> oh wow my, okay so that's the type of time we on today okay
0: i was saying that your cheeks were not that big they're whatever. not that big
1: whatever anyway it's jolinda seeing the place to play step b what does it cousins on this fine and welcome day. to
0: and welcome to executive education we got a lot to get into jolinda we are definitely making some changes here so you're going to notice some things are going to change here at the come-up series so Without further ado, uh, well, you know, shout outs to our cousins over there at LinkedIn, and on top of that, shout outs to each and every single one of y'all. We really missed y'all. It's like weird when we're gone for a week, but now that we're back and we're definitely in the full swing of things, and it's a new quarter. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and cue that intro. All right, right, it's second quarter of executive education, and can you believe it, Jolene? We got three more quarters left.
1: Time is flying, like twenty twenty three. It is flying. Like like, well, happy quarter two, Mark.
0: I know, right? And happy quarter two you, to you. I mean, I hope that everybody did well on. You know, we had a spring break going on, and before then, we also had folks that were like literally like sweating during the final from last quarter. But you know we came. We're ready to come out the block. So I hope that each and every single, every single person that's here today is ready. We're ready for this presentation. So uh, let's go ahead and cue it up, shall we? Yes. All right. Oh, we so are. Yes, 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 yes.
1: We yes. didn't say who the first person was. It was um, Eric, Eric Horton. Yes. And on top of that, shout outs to Eric. And on top of that, shout out to Amit
0: Nath because he was the first person. In the LinkedIn uh, chat, so hey,
1: there it is. Hey,
0: shout outs to you, Ahmed. All right, so all right, so today is all about disruptive strategy. So I'm gonna fly through this as much as I can, and then on top of that, to give you as much info as I can in this process. So, and you know, a lot of these subjects are starting to come near and dear to my heart, uh, as well mm. as to my profession of what is it that I do, um, and the things in which that I see on a daily consistent basis. And so it feels good because I get to pass on this knowledge and like, you know, my experiences to each and every single one of you, of course, we'll try to make it digestible so that way everybody can understand it, whether you're one of the come up cousins that is watching us that's all the way in kindergarten, all the way up to one of the come up cousins that is very much so seasoned and sitting there waiting for the cookout and like, you know, hey, I remember back when having those types of conversations with us. But wherever you're at in the grand scheme of things, we hope that it's uh, digestible for you to learn today. So All right. So disruptive uh, strategy, how to create and sustain competitive or a competitive advantage. So the interesting thing about uh, this entire thing, it kind of like comes to a specific quote and it says, if you don't disrupt yourself, someone else will. Yeah. So, you know, if you kind of get that quote, then, you know, you'll understand that that's the type of time that we're on. So let's just get down to the to the nitty gritty the basics. So first, of course, as you guys know, We're going to give a definition we're going to give some examples and then of course we're going to follow the objective all right so with that said all right so and hopefully everybody can see it can you guys still see it
1: uh no it's the screen's on us right now
0: okay so let me go ahead and switch that back because i knew that it was giving me some type of issues earlier you know i tell you when When you try to like definitely get everything up and ready and then the devil be busy (laughs) (laughs) like the devil's like yo i am busy today all right so let me get this over here so that way we don't have to worry about any more mishaps all right so we're going to set this to audience view all right so everybody should have this i think
1: you can see it correct the second page
0: Yep, so the basics. So definition, example, and objectives. And if you kind of look at it, you can kind of like see the lineage from, you know, the studying to, you know, becoming scholarly and then ultimately the, the true objective, the professional. All right, so when we think about a disruptive uh, technology or disruptive strategy, there I am jumping the gun, it's pretty much a business approach that aims to create new markets and or disrupt existing ones by offering a simpler, more convenient and lower priced product or service compared to the incumbents. So what does that look like? So for example, um, if you have, if we, if we think about disruptive strategy, right, mm-hmm. if we think about like the products that currently exist. So like, for example, you've had the Samsungs, the Apples of the world, the Motorola's that were already in the smartphone space. And then all of a sudden you had new incumbents that came in, like the one pluses, the Xiaomi's and the Huawei's, all of a sudden they started taking up significant market share. And then it kind of begs to ask you the question of how is it that they were able to do it? Well, I mean, nine times out of 10, when the, you're the new player or the new kid on the block, then nine times out of 10, you're going to undercut your competition or the incumbents and in price or some type of service feature that they don't provide. And you're a lot more agile. Most, most of your smaller companies are more agile than the larger companies, because when you become larger, there's so much process that starts to take place versus when you're smaller, you can just like, okay, hey, you think it, you literally create it, and then you literally release it. So, which leads to a competitive advantage, which is the unique value proposition that sets a, a company apart from its competitors and allows it to achieve superior financial performance. Now, we see these things happen a lot of times, JoLynn. So, you know, before we jump the gun on that, I wanna kinda mention like the importance of these things. So the importance of a disruptive strategy in creating and sustaining a competitive advantage, well, you know, we already talked about like, you know, it can help companies gain a market share and compete with established players in a market, but it can also create a new market and opportunity for growth. So when you think about it, it creates new growth opportunities that you never thought. Now, one of the companies that kind of sticks out in my mind, and I'm actually gonna like, you know, kind of like talk about them for a second um, because we don't really get to talk about a lot of successful Black startups that ultimately become full fledged growth companies or well established within the marketplace.
1: We need to change
0: that. Um, you go, huh? We need to change that narrative
1: starting. Well, with-
0: it start. It starts today. So if we think about it, think about the walk. Have you ever heard of a company called Walker and Company? No. Okay. So there was once upon a, or or let's say, let's see if you, you've heard of this company, Bevel, B-E-V-E-L. Okay. So uh, I have this feeling that a lot of folks haven't heard of this company, but here's the interesting thing about it. Walker and Company Uh, And it it started through the brand of Bevel. And I remember this when they were like way back when. They completely disrupted the entire shaving industry by creating a shaving system specifically designed for people with coarse curly hair, a.k.a. us. Mm -hmm. You know, for men out there, you know what it's like when you shave using the typical shavers. And it would give you all types of razor bumps and everything else. And now it's like your face looks like taco meat underneath your chin. Well, Tristan Walker, who was the founder of Bevel, literally thought about this and literally recreated the entire landscape as it pertains to what does it look like for black skincare or skincare for people of color. And this allowed them to gain market share and compete with established brands like Gillette and Chick. Now, the interesting thing is they actually were approached many times to be acquired by those companies, but he stuck to his guns and realized that there was something there and literally can like literally went from just the bevel product to literally creating a whole family of products which he there later on and turned it into the walker brand which is something a story that a lot of folks don't really talk about and honestly it's something in which that like literally it really speaks towards that disruptive strategy because it was new to the marketplace so that there was a significant need in the marketplace and because of the fact of what he was able to provide it created a complete competitive advantage versus the other uh, other existing players that were already within the marketplace. So something to think about there. I should.
1: <laughs> well, what's interesting, yeah. Mark? What's interesting is the pattern. Well, what I'm noticing, like on this, on the outside looking in, um, mm-hmm. is that it seems, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like we. When I say we, I'm talking about black people. When we Mm -hmm. create companies, um, we go with the branding, like the name of like the product, as opposed to, you know, our last name, which is very interesting. Well, I mean,
0: the interesting part about it is, is that he started off with Bevel. And then once when Bevel became so successful, you know, started having conversations with other players within the space, not like in the shaving space, but just within Mm -hmm. the corporate space. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it's like, that's the true definition of turning your name into an asset. So and that's ultimately what, what you see that's happened as it stands today. So there's a lot for us to go through in this conversation. But I just wanted to start it off because normally we have a presentation and we talk about existing companies that, you know, have a person at the top that doesn't look like us. So I wanted to be like very much so intentful uh, or will come in with the strong intention to make sure that we have somebody who looks like us and moving forward, we're actually gonna do more of that. Yeah. So there's that. But if we, if you know, you're like, okay, Mark, I kind of get it, but I need a little bit more, you know, I'm an investor. I invest in the publicly traded markets. So who better to look at than, let's say for example, Netflix. So when we look at Netflix, Netflix disrupted strategy in the entertainment industry with a streaming service that disrupted the traditional movie rental and television. And from what I'm starting to notice, they're also starting to like really cause a significant threat to also the movie goer space. So for example, the theater space. So I would really pay attention to that. And then on top of that, they're also looking at merging those two things alongside with, you never know, what happens when you start to see gaming really start to take shape, form and fashion. We're a platform like that tied to other gaming studios. Now you start to see live action game films That are literally putting out there and shout outs to hbo max because what they did with the tv show last of us i think that that opened up the door and i think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of those titles come to the space and that's very much so disruptive because if you notice within the content space it started to get a little bit stale Mm -hmm. like you're starting to see the same type of content over and over so now you're starting to see a lot of disruption and if you think about it a lot of those game titles have groundbreaking stories it's just that they're so linear because you play from one into the other but now you can actually put it into a movie or TV show landscape and completely open up the entire world, which is very much so disruptive. So shout out to the companies that are definitely moving forth in that space. So there's some other things here. When we think about the characteristics, though, like, you know, because it's very easy to just say, okay, hey, Netflix and, you know, changing up the distribution models of what we know of like television. Right. But what are some of the characteristics of, let's say, a disruptive strategy? Right. Because we understand these things, but, you know, but well, what is it like, you know, a disruptive strategy typically involves targeting uh, underserved customer segments, offering simpler and more convenient uh, products and entertaining at a low, at, you know, really at that low end of the market. And then disruptors often leverage new technologies and business models to create a new market or disrupt the existing one. So to go a little bit further in that, like, let's let's look at like this part where we talk about the innovation part. Mm -hmm. Because you really can't talk about disruption without innovation. As much as you would really want to, it's not going to happen. Like we've talked like disruption, disruptive innovation. Yep. You've definitely heard this before. And when we talk about sustaining innovation, we might have touched this. So let's break it in because these are two specific areas. So disruptive innovation, AKA a new technology or business model that disrupts existing markets and value networks displacing established market leaders and alliances. So that's just completely disruptive. So you see it across multiple different facets. You have companies like Nvidia, which is completely disrupting the entire space of what we know as semiconductors and AI alone. When we think about what's also transpiring within the cloud infrastructure space, You have, of course, you have the data dogs and, of course, you have, you know, your, you know, many other companies. But one of the companies that truly stands out is, let's say, a company like Snowflake, because they go a little bit further in providing services on top of, say, for example, the platform where they use that to take that data in and kind of like Microsoft, create their own business intelligence, which they can keep adding more services and creating and creating and creating. And they're very much so popular within the financial space, so not just investment bank space, but very much so heavy in the private equity space, especially when you think about the startups that they're a part of. And then when we think about sustaining innovation, it's an incremental improvement to an existing product or service that targets the same customer segment and provides better performance or features. So, you know, a lot of times what we hear in this arena is like, Disruptive innovation would be like the Teslas of the world. And once upon a time, the Amazons of the world. Now Amazon's gotten big and now it's in the place of sustaining innovation. But it now joins that same category of, let's say, an Apple, where they're now sustaining innovation, where they're making incremental improvements. Now, I think that we've gotten to, to we're pretty much close to the end of the innovation lifecycle of the iPhone, which is probably probably the reason why you see them pushing very much so hard. For mixed reality or VR or whatever or AR glasses, so it's it's kind of interesting because they companies can easily step back into the disruptive innovation space at any point in time when they see an opportunity.
1: But Mark, I have a question. So yeah, um, you earlier you stated that the um, disruptors often enter at the um, low end of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that relation? What does that reason mean? Um, I guess like in relation to agility, is that why it does that? Um, oftentimes or like what is what is that pattern really about? I mean, to yes,
0: I mean I I hope we get back and honestly this is like a, a dream, this is a dream of mine so it's mm-hmm. a whisper of a dream whisper of a dream. Alright so my dream is I wish we get back into that innovation cycle and I and I kind of feel like we're getting there but it's just like we're trying to get past some of the red tape of the economics and people are just afraid to take that jump mm-hmm. um, but I want us to get back to that place where and you probably remember this, but I don't know if you were like fully in, de- in like in deep with it yet. But remember back in the days when everybody was excited to hear about what were the new- next Google products that were coming out when Larry Page and Sergey Brin would like literally come across the stage and and release this next thing, and it was very much so. And many times. A lot of those products that they released, weren't compl- they weren't even completed, but it was just like showing you the idea of where mm-hmm. they were headed and then they would ultimately figure it out and then release it to the masses. Mm-hmm. I want us to get back to that space, but it's like a part of that means that essentially that, you know, the reason why we've seen that disruptive innovation has kind of slowed down is because one, a lot of folks are kind of like looking for the, the, the red tape to kind of catch up, which is AKA the regulation for the space. And I think that some people are also looking for regulation to also possibly insulate them from potential competition as well. So like, for example, Facebook never really cared about like regulation until finally it started to touch TikTok.
1: Mm -hmm. Now there's (laughs) like a concern. But Mark, like with, when we think about the context, right? So when Google was Mm -hmm. doing all that by then with, I feel like by then, if I remember correctly You know, the internet was pretty, you know, stable, like 2.0 or whatever was like stable, right? Like, we were still
0: in one, we were still in, like, we
1: were like in that, that,
0: we were in that golden age where we are going between 1.0 to 2.0.
1: Okay. So now we're at the point where we're into 2.0
0: to 3.0.
1: Right. And so I think it's going to, it's going to come, especially there is excitement around um, artificial intelligence, though, and like the possibilities for that. And we are seeing just AI be a disruptor in everything. So maybe yeah. the disruption is going to start looking just broad across the board as opposed to this one company is being a disruptor.
0: Agreed. I mean, and, and sometimes, like I said, some people, some companies stumble into uh, disruptive innovation by accident. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll give you an example. Many people believe that, like, you know, NVIDIA just like, okay, yeah, we, we're just going to like come out with all this AI and like literally do XYZ, blah, 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 blah. No, here's the real. NVIDIA stumbled upon disruptive innovation by accident. <laughs> that was purely by accident. They wanted to step into other spaces as it pertains to using GPUs. Like they were very much so uh, head over heels for their Tegra chip, which ultimately like truth be told, it was actually a successful failure. And here's the reason why I say it was a successful failure, because NVIDIA wanted to create a C- its own CPU chip that would literally go into a plethora of devices, aka like gaming devices to compete against companies like AMD and also compete against in players like Intel. And they tried it with their Tegra chip and their NVIDIA Shield devices, but it didn't really it didn't hit. <laughs> it didn't really hit, but, you know, they, they stumbled across something. Though the performance, like the performance and the tech was there, the use case was not there, which caused them to have to pivot. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that they were just working with a client that was just like, hey, can we do it with, can we use this to do this? And then they were like, well, let's try it. And it hit. And it went from, and nobody talks about NVIDIA Tegra. That's like the dark space of of NVIDIA. Nobody Mm -hmm. even wants to even like mention it. And they went from NVIDIA Tegra to like literally moving into their next set which therein started to like set, the, but that Tegra chip set the stage that you can go be more than just a GPU and provide significant amounts of power and then start having multi-sets of bringing that graphical power into like literally doing computational things and then doing computation going into the cloud space and data centers and then going from data centers and all that other stuff into like literally using that, those data sets now that you're in the data center to like literally provide that computing power to services that need high computation, AKA a dolly, AKA a chat GPT, AKA a mid journey, all these other things that require such compute. Boom, there you go. And so then here we are, where now we're talking about, oh yeah, all right, well, yeah, we're we're gonna sell $10,000 chips and we're gonna just like kill the game, which they are, but just look at the disruption in which that, and how long that disruption took And that disruption started from an actual failure
1: well what's interesting mark is like oftentimes when the technology is there or the idea is there it takes a minute before the use case is actually thought of to the point where it makes sense and it's not just like this like little novel thing um but it takes time for the use case to develop so i guess another question is like what does that um is there like a is there like a percentage or like a formula for okay <laughs> versus use case it's gonna usually take no. amount of time it,
0: it, it varies it varies across the board it varies based upon the, the market and where you're at like it's i wish there was a specific formula for it and you know somewhere out there there's somebody way smarter than me that's probably going to be able to put it together and be like hey that this is the formula or this is the percentage that you set towards it. Um, Because again, it's a a variation of whether it's disruptive or it's incremental. Mm -hmm. Um, And innovation, again, like I said, it takes many shapes, forms of fashion. Um, It's kind of like even fashion itself. Fashion itself is one of the greatest inventions, but yet it's never completed. Mm -hmm. So, but as you can see, it's over in increments, which kind of like, if we can go back to the slide of what we had Mm -hmm. on the screen, um, which is interesting. Because, which leads us to the final word of this slide, innovation is not a single event. It is a process that can be broken down into manageable pieces and embedded into an organization's culture. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that, that, I think that that can sum it up very much so as it pertains to when we look at innovation. Now, there was a question in the, in the chat that says, and I think it was by Ahmed. He said, should we look towards uh, emerging markets for disrupt- for disruptive innovation? You can, but it's also in the sense of looking at it from the standpoint of like, you know, entrepreneurs that are the most disruptive find significant problems or find holes within a system. So find holes in which that within an entire system that essentially that there's a strong need for. So, for example, you know, when we look at some of the most disruptive companies that we know, you know, they did their thing because of the fact that they saw a gaping hole that just needed to be filled in the marketplace. And they, they did it. So again, it's like you can look at emerging markets as a, as a huge opportunity, but yet at the same token, with emerging markets, there comes red flags with that too. Because one is the technology or whatever it is, is it really truly accessible? You know, how does it get to everybody? Does everybody actually have that? Does everybody have the access to be able to access that technology? Whereas in developed areas, people have access to get to it, but yet at the same token, those markets are very competitive. So again, it's like on one side, they're very very receptive, but at the same token, it's like, it's gonna be a slow process. On the other side, it's gonna be maybe not so uh, accepted because of the fact that there's so much other competition, Mm -hmm. but yet at the same token, the upside that if it hits, it can have greater uh, value. But the same thing can be said, in emerging markets. So it just it just varies based upon the idea itself.
1: Well, I do wanna say like to the, you know, to those out there in, uh, that are part of the cousins um, who are, you know, thinking about, you know, what that next big idea is and like their contribution. Um, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about this the other day, like oftentimes it's, and Bevel's a good example. It's the inequities that lead to the innovation mm-hmm. because of, you know, all the isms in the world. Um, yep. And then also just that, wanting to, to be inclusive. There's that piece and like that sense of belonging. So then it always goes back to like relation as opposed to transaction or whatever. I feel like the relation, like what is your relation to whatever product is on the market? And if there's that gap between you and that product that in that gap, in that space there, you know, potentially could be that fertile ground. So I just want to offer that to those that are thinking of this, like not necessarily whole oh, find a problem and fix it or find a problem and solve it. Like think of yep. it from a relational standpoint, like where are you in relation to the market and what's the what's in that gap?
0: Yeah. So when we think about like disruptive innovation, like I said, it aims to create new markets. You know, when we think about why disruptive strategies work, um, well, disruptive strategies can create new markets as well as. Uh, capture market share from established players by offering more affordable and convenient products or services. Uh, So disruptors often start at the low end of the market and gradually improve their products. So there you go, Amit, as it pertains to developing areas. Um, And then they move up, you know, they they move up market. Now, additionally, the incumbents are often slow, like I said earlier, uh, Mm -hmm. to respond effectively to disruptive threats. So allowing disruptors to gain a foothold in the market. So they're actually going to allow you to do that because, you know, remember, it's not always, it's not about being the first one to the market. It's about essentially being the one that can capture the most market share within a marketplace. So a lot of times when the companies, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, what's stopping Google from like literally stepping into a space if you create something that's like a hole within, you know, the search landscape. Okay, That's great. But, you know, at the same time, Google's like, that's great because of the same token. It validates one, the space that we're in. And maybe we can always release that feature if we see that there's a much more larger upside or we can acquire this technology that is disruptive and add it to our portfolio or add it to our stack. So those are the things that we look at, whereas like it's not just a one size fits all situation as it pertains to disruptive innovation. It's Mm -hmm. disruptive because the market wasn't ready or wasn't even looking for it. But at the same token, it's not disruptive where it's just immediately, it's just going to knock somebody's block off. All right. So let's break it down, shall we? So Mm -hmm. it's broken into like three areas. If you notice of what I've said, the first part that I mentioned was low end. Mm -hmm. So companies can use different types of disruptive strategies to enter a market, gain market share and create new opportunities for growth. And how they do that is from these three strategies. So we got low end, a strategy that targets customers who value affordability over performance. And then of course we got the new market, a strategy that targets customers who were not previously served by existing products or services. And then of course we got that hybrid, a strategy that combines elements of low end and new market disruption to create an entirely new market. Now I can go on and on, but you know, what do you think Jolene? Should we have somebody else step on here and like
1: explain it better? for
2: us? Yeah, that'd be nice. All right. Hey, what's up, Mark and Joe Lynn? Hey. Oh, and what's up, cousins? I'm Aisha. Ha, 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 get it? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm AI. But we here now. Is it okay, you two, if I add some color to this slide? By all means. Yes, go ahead. Okay, let's discuss these strategies. No cap. Y'all have really set the standard versus those other people out here in these streets. I know y'all are out here in hella traffic, but me personally, I feel like I needed to bring some flavor to this since I'm the ultimate disruption. I got y'all talking to me about all your ideas. So let me give some perspective on these strategies. I'm saying these so all the ninjas in the back. Take notes. Low end. Southwest Airlines disrupting the airline industry by offering no-frills, low-cost flights that targeted price-sensitive customers. New Market Uber disrupting the taxi industry by creating a mobile app that allowed customers to easily hail a ride from a driver and pay through the app. Hybrid Tesla's disruption of the automotive industry with its electric cars that combined the low-end disruption of electric cars with the new market disruption of luxury electric cars. Girl, thank you.
1: (laughs) Okay, Aisha,
2: Aisha in the building.
0: (laughs) All right. So when we think about that, like, you know, she said what she said, and that's what it was. All right. So check it. So when we think about creating a disruptive strategy, right, you know, there's a framework for it. Um, Like there must be a framework. But one of the greatest things in which that if you think about like disruptive strategies is. If you think your boss is stupid, remember, you wouldn't have a job if he was any smarter. That was by one John Gotti, an American <laughs> mobster. <laughs> I'll repeat the quote for you just in case, you know, you missed it because you were taking notes from Aisha. <laughs> if you think your boss is stupid, remember, you wouldn't have a job if he was any smarter. <laughs> okay, so let's think about it in three different categories, right? Where we have one, past the offering. Or no, let's first focus on the target. So Mm -hmm. focusing on the target, targeting an underserved uh, customer segment. And then, of course, uh, then we pass the offering uh, plate, which is offering a simpler and more convenient product or service. And then, of course, you got to walk in that, entering at the low end of the market. Now, when we think about these frameworks uh, for creating disruptive strategies involving identifying an underserved customer segment um, and offering a simpler and more convenient product, or service, compare it to the existing offerings. You know, you enter at the low of uh, you enter at the low end of the market. It allows disruptors to gain a foothold and gradually improve their product or service, aka iteration, um, mm-hmm. to move up market. Then you you use leveraging uh, new technologies and business models which can give those disruptors, AKA you who's probably in the audience out there an advantage over incumbents who are slower to adapt. Now I mentioned Apple before, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like think about Apple's introduction of the iPhone is an example of a successful disruptive strategy that targeted an underserved customer segment. Think about it. Apple created a product that targeted an underserved segment. (laughs) Okay. And offered a simpler and more convenient product compared to existing smartphones. So if you think about it, you know, there were other existing smartphones that were already out there in the wild before iPhone came forth. But again, if you think about it, you know, iPhone is very much so simple. It's something that every single person can just pick up and just understand and get moving on. So like for all those folks that are just saying, hey, I just want to talk, text, send emails and stuff like that. I'm not looking here for customization and all the other fancy stuff on it. That's the reason why majority of the folks go towards Apple, because it serves a community of folks who just want to make a phone a phone and have a little bit of smartphone uh, additions added to it. Now, over the time, over its iterations, it's gone from disruptive innovation, like I said, to those incremental uh, innovations in which that we see. Mm -hmm. But don't get me wrong, there's challenges also. Like Mm -hmm. there's some some significant challenges. So I'll leave you with another quote. If at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is not for you. (laughs) <laughs> if at first you don't succeed then skydiving is definitely not for you <laughs> so that, like that's like one of the things that like every single entrepreneur or every single person out there that's a disruptor or that's thinking from a disruptive strategy even companies that are within the publicly traded marketplace uh, even mm-hmm. the boss that you work for or the company that you work for they consistently have that on their mindset um, and the reason why is because there is a few things that, are, that make up the anatomy of those challenges, a.k.a. resistance. Everyone can get it. Everyone gets resistance, resistance from existing players. And then, of course, you have structure, the need uh, for a different organizational structure, which is, you know, monumental challenges. And then those weeklies, traders know about that resistance and challenges, but short term focus focus on uh, financial markets. And then, of course, the prediction part, difficulty in predicting. Uh, the success of disruptive of a disruptive strategy. So resistance from existing players is a common challenge for all disruptors. I just want you guys to all know that as in the incumbents uh, may leverage their strengths and resources to defend their market position. Implementing a strategy uh, may require a different organizational structure, culture and process compared to a sustaining strategy. Now, think about it like this. You bring forth something that's very much so disrupting. But yet at the same token, it causes everybody to have to change their entire workflow in Mm -hmm. order to like, even though the the disruption is very much so good, the innovation is amazing. But one of the major resistances to that is because of the fact that people don't want to change the existing system that they're currently using to have to spend the time and learn something completely new. That costs money and everything else. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why you see a lot of schools slow to move, hospitals slow to move, government slow to move, your major conglomerate companies are slow to move. Hence the reason why companies themselves that are so large, they're Mm -hmm. so resistant from being able to move because of those exact reasons. Now, financial markets may prioritize short-term results, making it difficult for companies to invest in long-term disruptive technologies. But I think that's starting to change. Um, And then on top of that, the success of disruptive strategies is difficult to predict and often involves experimentation and learning from failure. The best way to look at it is, is that, you know, you remember a company by the name of Kodak, uh, Jolene, right? Of course. So Kodak is the poster child for failure when it Mm -hmm. comes to, you know, those types of challenges in disruptive technology. Now, if you think about a lot of the patents that currently exist, when we look at photos and everything else, Kodak is like, they reign supreme as it pertains to owning all of that. But their failure to embrace digital photography and disruptive technology is an example of a company that did not address these challenges and failed to adapt to disruptive threats, which therein, you started to see mirrorless cameras and everybody else come in and eat their lunch. And ultimately, Kodak just became pretty much, you know, a misnomer.
1: Well, and, you know, it still has nostalgia, so for those...
0: But you know that uh you know you do know, want to know that one of the greatest uh quotes out there.
1: Yeah, tell me.
0: And shout outs to uh, cousin Q for this one. Nostalgia makes liars out of all of us.
1: Yeah, I've heard I heard uh, cousin Q say that before. Definitely, yeah.
0: All right, so but there's some but you can overcome these things. So overcoming challenges of uh, implementing disruptive a uh, disruptive strategy, there you hope, have it. Four things in which that you can implement. One, culture. Create a culture of innovation. Two, partnerships, building strategic partnerships. Three, balance short-term and long-term goals. You know, know, for those weeklies out there, you need balance. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, learn, experimentation and learning from failure. So when you create a culture of innovation at any place, It's important because of the fact that you're kind of like creating that experimentation, that risk taking and learning from failure to support the process of disruptive innovation. You know, companies like Google have done it. Companies like Meta have done it. Companies like Amazon have done it. And even Apple have done it. And you're seeing that companies like Tesla, Netflix and many of the other players, they're doing the same thing. Now, of course, building strategic partnerships with external partners can help companies leverage their resources and capabilities, which means that it can be a little bit cheaper in the process because somebody is now sharing the load with you. But then on top of that, you gain allies in the process and accelerate the process of disruptive uh, innovation. Kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. So balancing short-term and long-term goals is important for creating a sustainable growth through disruptive innovation because experimentation and learning from failure is a key part of process Of disruptive innovation and can help companies refine their strategies and products. And I mentioned before, Google had a success of creating a culture of innovation once upon a time. And experimentation through initiatives like 20% of the time is an example of a company that successfully overcame the challenges of implementing a disruptive strategy. So, when we mean by 20% time, Meaning that okay, hey, spending twenty percent of your time di- creating something that's disruptive, you know, okay, does it have a magnanimous impact later, um, or will it have a significant impact? Now the question is, and since we've reached the you know the end of our slides, um, we can kind of talk about it for a second. Yeah. So if you think about like you know where we've where we've gone in the spectrum is like you know entrepreneurs are taught to fail fast, fail quickly, fail fast, and learn. And learn and learn faster the reason behind that is because of the fact that throughout the process no matter what whether you're a trader investor entrepreneur or just a person that's just learning you're going to make mistakes along the pathway and that's ultimately the pathway that leads towards greatness so when we think about like okay hey there's your percentage model right there joel in of the 20 percent, which brings me back to that remember now this is for the og og come up cousins here Remember back in the time when I gave everybody that 168 hour model? Mm-hmm. Now I kind of adopted that from, uh, uh, I, I remember adopting that from one Mr. Elon Musk where he said there's 168 hours in an entire week. 40 of those hours you'll spend you know, working for somebody else. 40 of those other hours you'll spend sleeping Possibly if you get eight hours of sleep or actually, no, it's, uh, what is it? Eight times seven. So what is that? Uh, 56. 56. All right. Mm -hmm. So then you'll spend 56 hours. So now you're at 96 hours total of what you just spent. So what are you spending with the other amounts of your time and like doing something that's disruptive? So like when you think about it, you have a whole 40 hours to do something else that's monumental that can bring forth a significant amount of change. And that's where we come into that part of the 20% time that you spend. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it in the grand scheme, of th- grand scheme of things, I think that that's the equivalent of 20%.
1: Well, what's interesting, Mark, is like when I think back to my very first trading day, um, November 26, 2018, um, all of these things were embedded in how you taught me how to disrupt my finances, right? Yep. And it's just really cool to see to see those things back because there's so many things that you said that remind Mm -hmm. me of like those early days. Like you said, enter the lower end of the market. To me, that's like equivalent to liquidity. And then you Mm -hmm. mentioned leverage. And then, you know, you said something else that would be akin to scaling. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like if you don't get if you don't fail faster in those different stages and not like. Mm -hmm fail and then overcome whatever fears you have and then move on to the next take those lessons you know we know that the the s and lessons for dollar signs you take that you leverage yep. that and keep you just rinse and repeat like over and over and over again until you get to a point where that 20 of your time you're really like contributing value on this planet and you're impacting other people, and then you're really cool when you know you can impact other people that look like you and change their um disrupt their life, you know. And then yep. it goes on and on and on. So when I look at this, it's just like wow, it's it's almost like a, a retrospect, um, but then also it's future too, but then it's also retrospect. it is. I see all these it things, is. dang, that's the come up series in a nutshell, that's the blueprint, boom.
0: And, and it's like, it's crazy because everybody wants to climb the top of the mountain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Everybody wants to reach the top of the mountaintop. But just remember this. What's the tallest mountain that everybody wants to try to climb?
1: Is it Everest? hmm Okay. I was like, well, I was thinking I have these other mountains in my head, but. Just remember yeah. this.
0: When thinking about that, there's a, it's like every, there like there's a lot of dead bodies <laughs> of highly motivated people mm-hmm. who wanted to climb Mount Everest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> just yeah. remember that. So it's like, you know, and the reason why I say that is because and not to be morbid or anything like that, but it's more so in the sense of people are going to fail in this process. You know, being a disruptor is many times going to feel like a lonely island. You may probably feel like that on your job. You probably may feel like that even, you know, hey, journeying out in your next in your new venture. You may feel like that even as a trader or an investor or as a person that's like learning how to do all these things and it's going to feel like a lonely island but again stay motivated because and even when you in those moments in which as you fail you know keep going because when you fail and then you stopped and you know pretty much you know <laughs> that's it
1: mm-hmm. they
0: like you know it's like you'll never know what the story could have been you'll never know what the, what the what the end game or what the end goal would have looked like you never would have saw the other side of it You'll just know the only thing that you'll know is, is that I failed and I, you know, and I, I maybe didn't learn from it or I just quit because of the fact that the going got rough and it got tough, like disruptors, the journey of like, you know, following along in that disruptor strategy, mm-hmm. you know, of course this is an MBA related course. So for those of you in whom we set, like wanted to know like, okay, Mark, where does this source of this course come from? Shout out to Harvard university for this one, because I actually use it from their course curriculum today as it pertains to disruptive uh, strategy. So there you have it, Harvard uh, MBA program.
1: One thing I do wanna add, um, like I always like to think about this like in relation to the cousins, um, if nothing else, you know, when I think about just the cousins and black people and um, brown folks and, you know, just people of color all over the world, like literally we have the competitive advantage of resilience, Yep, you know, and that right there Just the ability to come back, no matter how many times you've been knocked down, you know, systemically, all that, and still be here and still have that wherewithal and that drive and that passion. And I mean, don't even get me started on the creativity. And you have all that still, and we still here? What? There's really no stopping.
0: Or think about the folks in which that are still here or that are still climbing and everything else. And they were told that they don't belong here or that they shouldn't be here.
1: Right. We, we're getting out. We're out here <laughs> getting treated like a disruption, like on a daily, like our <laughs> existence is disruptive.
0: But Every single one of you are the disruptors, because honestly, it's like, you know, when you look at the status quo, when you look at the numbers and everything else, by numbers and everything else, it technically says that you shouldn't be here. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be here. You know, that these things shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't be learning this information. This information should be shared on golf courses. And you ha- you'd you have to join some type of golf course or some type of country club in order to go and learn this this type of information or be sitting in specific circles to rub shoulders with other, other folks and be something that you're not. You're living proof that essentially that you're a disruptor and keep doing that every single day. Remember that you're disrupting. And if you think about like all the things in which that you've disrupted over your time period. And even for the young folks that are watching tonight, even if you're in college, you're still a disruptor because you may be the first one in your generation, the first generation to go to college, or you may be the first person of, or first generation to be studying a specific subject. Uh, and then on top of that, think about the amount of information that you're learning at a faster pace versus folks who have came before you. You have so much information that is at your fingertips. It's a matter of what is it that you, know, you are doing in the streets, <laughs> so to speak um and you know here's the thing you know that i want you guys to understand here about the come up series like we're focused on factual information we're not here to give you you know a a sky is falling and then you know like try to scare you into something we're literally going to give you the unadulterated truth no bs like so aka no bullshit uh just straight up truths and facts as it pertains to learning material And after we give you that learning material, we're not going to put a paywall in front of those things. You're going to start seeing a lot of more folks that are doing that. And I'm just trying to tell you, like, that strategy, that tactic and everything else is getting very much so old. The information is so much out there now where it's like it's it's non-required. So, again, like, you know, just if you need to. Like, I think that honestly, Chat GPT is going to put a lot of, you know, culture vultures and a lot of those, you know, charlatans and folks in whom which that are, you know, giving, you know, one takes is going to put a lot of them out of business. And I think, and I thank God that, you know, we have these tools that are at our, at our disposal. And I really hope that more of them come out that are more useful for each and every single one of you. But again, it's time now, like Q2 of ed- executive education. It's definitely the theme is let's cut the BS and let's get to work. Yeah. All right, y'all. Um, on that note, <laughs> Jolyn. Yes. Thank you so much for rocking with me on this episode. And uh, I hope that everybody got the information. We definitely kept it very short, very succinct for each and every single one of you. Uh, so, on that note, until next time, I am Mark Monroe. And
1: I'm Jolyn GC in the place to be.
0: And this has been Executive Education. We will see y'all next week. Peace, y'all. <laughs>